0: Welcome to another Salvation by Grace message from Grace Christian Assembly in Smyrna, Tennessee. We are engaged in a verse-by-verse study of Paul's two epistles to the Corinthians. Now, let's join the congregation of GCA and our teaching pastor, Jim McLarty. Good morning to every one of you. I'm glad that you're here. I'm a man in a quandary right now. I can explain why I had such a sore throat last week. I thought it was the endoscopy that did all the damage. By Monday, I was felled with a serious virus. I had fevers all day Monday and Tuesday, and all the sneezing and coughing and body aches, and... I still have this nagging, persistent cough, which I am suppressing with everything known to man at this moment. If I reach the point where I just can't talk anymore, then we're just going to uh, go eat. So hey, bonus. I spoke to a friend yesterday who said, oh, you've got that virus. Oh, yeah, that lasts two, three weeks. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. So I'm just up all night coughing. and So I had to make a decision yesterday and last night. I had to decide, am I going to gut it out and bring the message that I've prepared? Or do I call somebody and say, can you be at GCA tomorrow? Or was I going to do something different? Because in my big lesson plan for this year, I want, right around Christmas, New Year's, which both fall on Sundays this year, I want to review 2016, not just me, but all of us as a group, just kind of open the floor for opportunities for people to talk about where they were at the end of 2015 and and where they are now and the things that they've gone through and the faithfulness of God that brought them through it. And so I, I always had that on the back burner. And I thought, well, maybe this morning is the morning to do that because it's going to be tough for me to, to uh, work through the lesson. So that was my quandary. And it was still a quandary right up until Steve stepped off the platform. I'm still trying to decide which way we're going to go. But at the moment, I'm not coughing which I'm really thankful for. It may start at any moment. My throat gets dry when I talk, and boom, it may start again. But while it's not, I'm going to go ahead and do the lesson in 1 Corinthians that I had planned for the morning. So turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Now I have to begin this morning with a mea culpa that also turns into a A good teaching opportunity. The long word that I just wrote on the board is pneumaticos. You see the word pneuma right there in the beginning of it. Pneuma is the word that is translated spirit, it's also translated breath. It has moved its way into the English language. If you've ever heard of a pneumatic drill, then you know that the pneumatics are caused by the air pressure. And so that thought of breath or spirit or air is carried in that word pneuma. When we talk about the hagios pneuma, the Hagian pneuma, then we're talking about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. The pneumatikos, means those things that flow from the spirit and consequently are truly, genuinely supernatural, above natural, beyond natural, things that don't happen every day. Well, that word pneumatikos is the word that Paul uses in verse 1 of chapter 12 when he says, now concerning the spiritual gifts, he uses the word pneumatikos. In verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, that word gifts there is charismata, which we talked about last week. Now, everything I said last week about charismata is right and accurate and true. But I also left you with the impression that chapter 12, verse 1 began with the word charismata. And so when we got finished last week, Steve, who's sitting here reading from his Greek New Testament, came up to me and said, you know, that's actually not charismata in verse 1, that's pneumatikos. And I said, oh, well, yes, of course it is. And I was chagrined to find out that I had incorrectly identified that word. So I said to Steve, okay, that's true, that's all right, but why did you let me get away with that? Why did you let me say that, since it is demonstrably incorrect? Uh, You should have corrected me. And he kindly said, oh, well, no, I didn't want to do that. Well, I appreciate that he didn't want to publicly call out his pastor, but I'm serious about that. I called him again in the afternoon and said, Steve, I'm not concerned so much about Jim being right. I'm concerned about the Bible being right. And if I say something to the congregation, I have said for years here at GCA, I have said, if it's not in the Bible, I have no business saying it. And you all need to hold my feet to the fire. So I told him, I, re- I rely on Jeff. I rely on Alex. I rely on Tom. I-, I rely on these men that I trust that if I say something demonstrably wrong, that for the sake of the whole body, for the sake and the good of the church, they would say, wait a minute, I think you got that wrong, because I would rather present the Bible accurately than carry out a sort of egocentric stance of, that's me, I can't be wrong. Because I was in a church in Los Angeles and a church in Franklin where the pastors were unapproachable, uncorrectable, unassailable. And I never wanted to be that way. So I say now to the whole congregation the same thing that I said to Steve on the phone last week. If you see me say something that's just wrong, correct me. I'm not above taking correction, especially if it's something as obvious as, no, that's the wrong word. So everything I said last week about charismata, accurate. But everything I said about where charismata is found in the text was inaccurate because I gave you the feeling that it was in verse 1. Now, for the folks on the Internet who at this moment are saying, I don't remember Jim saying that. That's because you never heard it, because I can edit. And I'm concerned that the messages that go out on the Internet, especially those recordings that become part of the permanent record, I want those to be accurate. I want those to be correct. So the, uh, the one sentence that drew your attention back to verse 1 for the Charismata, I just eliminated that sentence from the message when it went out on the Internet. But for those of you here in the room, I want you to, to not be confused by anything I've said. And I'm more interested in the truth than I am my ego. So, now concerning... The pneumatics, as concerning the, the correct translation, if we were looking for a one-for-one one translation into English, would probably be the word the spirituals because there's really no other way to explain them. We're talking about the things that come directly from the Holy Spirit, things that are supernatural, that are above the everyday occurrences of mankind. The very fact that the Holy Spirit is among men, it ought to show. It ought to be easily demonstrated. It ought to be apparent that the Holy Spirit is with somebody not only because the Holy Spirit corrects and governs their behavior and their speech, but that the Holy Spirit ought to make them a different kind of person. And so Paul starts talking about these pneumatikos. Later he speaks of them as the charismata. There are a variety of these charismatic gifts. But it's the one and the same spirit that gives all these gifts to men. And the purpose of the gifts that are given to men... He's speaking in tongues. That's all that's (laughs) happening. I know. The purpose of the gifts, the purpose of the charismata, is always for the good and the edification of the whole body. I tried to emphasize that last week because far too much of what we see that is called charismatic seems very egocentric, because people use, whether it's talking in tongues or calling out supposed healings or whatever else, it's a way of demonstrating that they're simply more spiritual than you are. They're simply better than you are. That's why they're on TV. That's why they're at the front of the room, because they have some kind of direct line to God that you just don't have. And so you sit in your chair and they demonstrate the gifts. You're going to see that Paul never, ever allows for that kind of behavior. He always says that these gifts, when they're demonstrated, should be done in an orderly fashion. God is not of confusion. And that they should always be done for the good and the edification of the body. And when you recognize that as the overriding principle when you recognize that it's for the good and the edification of the whole body, then you're not going to exercise any kind of ego in the midst of it. And you're going to see that God's grace, the word charis, writing charismata, God's grace lays at the heart of these things. And God's grace would never be demonstrated, would never flow to raise up some human and make some human human the center of attention that only belongs to Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, so Paul's going to argue that, and Paul's going to keep coming back to it. And regardless of what the the particular gift is that he's talking about, he's going to point out that it is always for the general good, which is why he's going to say later on in the chapter, and we won't get to it today, but he'll say later in the chapter that even if someone speaks in tongues, that it's to be done in an orderly way only by two or three and then only if there's an interpreter because his argument's going to be if there's no interpreter then how are the people who are listening to him going to say amen to what they've heard? How are they going to reach the point of agreement with the speaker if they don't know what the speaker's saying? If I suddenly just start spouting in a language that you don't understand the most that you can do is sit and observe the fact that that's happening but you're not being edified by anything i'm saying and so it becomes a pointless exercise and it becomes a self-centered exercise by the glossolaliac that is going off in tongues and and nobody's understanding him And yes, I did just yank out the word glossolaliac. Use it in a sentence later today. So I told you at the end of last week that this week we were going to start looking at that variety of gifts, that variety of charismata, and that we were going to talk about what those gifts are because Paul just uses words, single words, and then moves on to the next gift, as if everybody will understand what that gift entails. And over the course of the last 2,000 years, those gifts have become confused. For instance, starting at verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, "...there are a variety of gifts but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord." And there are varieties of effects. But the same God who works all things in all persons. But to one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So these spirituals, these pneumatikos, are given by grace, by charis, by God, by the Son, by the Holy Spirit, to the whole group, for the sake of the whole group. So that they can grow as a group. Paul is going to launch at the end of this chapter. Right from his list of spiritual gifts. To now therefore. Since you all have different gifts. That are all for the good of the whole body. Well then you're becoming a body. Well then you are one whole body. And so his argument is always for unity here. Never for separation never for distinguishing any one person as the primary or the important one in your relationship with God verse 7 but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good to each one everybody in the church everybody in the body to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good if you do not have some manifestation of the spirit, then you're not part of the body. If you're part of the body, then there is some manifestation of the Holy Spirit within you. And so the spirit being in you manifests himself and changes you. Now, as we go through this list of gifts, you might say, I don't have that. I'm not like that. And then you might see one that you go, oh, I'm all about that. That describes me exactly because not only does Paul supply this list, but he supplies two other lists. In the book of Romans and in the book of Ephesians, he talks about gifts from God to men by the Spirit of God. And in those lists, he lists other things than he lists here. And so you're going to see that there is something, there is some gift that is given to you for the good of the whole body that is your gift, that is the gift God decided you should have for the good of the body. Now, you don't get to say, I don't like my gift. You don't get to say, my gift is, and obviously it's, let's say, the gift of help's. That is a gift that has to do with just that attitude of of being willing to be there for people, to come alongside, to lift someone's burden. Tom, who's not here because he's in Phoenix, but I think Tom is the perfect embodiment of the gift of helps. Because I say things like, you know, uh, something ought to be done about fill in the blank. I come back a couple days later, it's done. Because Tom's there, he does it, and he doesn't tell anybody he did it, and he's not looking for any accolades because he did it. He just has that gift of helps. Now, he doesn't get to say, I don't like my gift. I want the gift of tongues. I want gifts of healings. That's what I'm looking for. I think that's what we're all looking for. It's up to God. That's what Paul has just argued. It's up to God to give the gifts however, suits his grand plan for the whole body, for the good of the whole body. And Paul is going to compare it to your own physical body and say, ears don't get to tell toes, I don't have any need of you. (laughs) Toes need ears, ears need toes, the body needs every element of it even if, Paul's going to argue, even if some of those parts of your body are less attractive than other parts of your body. It's still part of your body. So he's going to apply that to the church and say, you need everybody that's in the body. Remember that this is all in the context of him arguing that when they got together to eat the Lord's Supper, those people who were rich and had food We're drunk and we're well-fed, and yet they weren't waiting on the lesser people, the poorer people, the lesser attractive parts of the body. So Paul is arguing that everybody has a manifestation of the gift for the good of the whole body, and the lesser attractive parts are as important as the more attractive parts, and they all collectively together become the body of the church. You get all that? It was still kind of all introduction, but so let's look at verse eight. For one, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit. Now Paul used two different words. He means two different things by the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. It's the difference between Gnosis and Sophia. And this difference has been argued about and bandied about far and wide in commentaries galore for years and years and years. And unfortunately, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom have been abused by the charismatics that you see popularly on television these days. They think that if they just call out, God wants you to have a better life starting right now, and God wants you to. Do, they call that a word of knowledge. That I just I have the knowledge that God wants this for you right now. And if they suddenly know something they shouldn't otherwise know, like right now God is working in a woman in New Jersey who's got a garage that's falling. They they say, well, that's a word of wisdom that suddenly they're wise to something that they shouldn't otherwise know. I don't think that's anything like what Paul's talking about. Remember that this is always in the context of God's revelation of himself to his church. And so I think this word gnosis, translated knowledge, I think has to do with people within the church who have a knowledge of God, who understand the word of God, who understand the things of God that they would not otherwise understand. And that God has gifted them with that knowledge, with that ability to understand his word, his ways, his character, his nature. That's all God revealing himself to people through his Holy Spirit and giving them a word of knowledge now wisdom is a little bit different than that there are in the Old Testament books that are called the wisdom books you know that Solomon's writing is often referred to as the wisdom books because he talks about wisdom as something that you should seek and something that you should gain so wisdom is different than knowledge knowledge is the accumulation of of facts of information but wisdom is the ability to discern what to do with that knowledge. Now that I know that, what should I do about it? I read one commentary just yesterday that delineated the difference between wisdom and knowledge and insight. And he explained it this way. I thought it was kind of interesting and amusing. He said knowledge would be like knowing that your journey that you're about to take on foot through the desert is a seven-mile journey. Okay, that's information. That's knowledge. I know that the walk I'm about to take through this desert area is going to be a seven-mile walk. Wisdom would be knowing to take water. Okay, that's wisdom. But insight, he said would be setting up a lemonade stand at the three-mile marker. (laughs) So you see the difference? One is the accumulation of information. The other is knowing what to do about that information. It's one thing to know what God's like. It's one thing to know the things that God's word says, but wisdom is knowing then how to apply it how to utilize it in your life. So Paul sees these as two different things, and both of them are directly from God. Now, one of the reasons that I think it has to directly apply to God and his word and his revelation of himself, one of the reasons I believe that is because even those people who don't have the Holy Spirit have the ability to accumulate facts, People who don't have the Spirit of God may know how to build a box girder bridge or just do things. They know how to do stuff. But they don't know God. They don't know anything about heaven. They don't know what lays ahead. They don't understand what the judgment is or what man's sin against God is. And Christians who have the Holy Spirit of God are aware of that stuff. And then having become aware of it, they also become able to to know what to do about it. Because, as we know well from the wisdom books, it is the fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom. And the common man, the regular man, the natural man, the man without the Holy Spirit, he doesn't know that. And he doesn't apply that. And he doesn't care about that. But the man who has the spirit of God knows it and acts on it and thinks about it, ponders it. So I think this is what Paul is getting at first. Some people are going to be able to tell the church about God. They're going to tell the church for the good of the whole church. For the common good of the church, they're going to say, this is the, the very knowledge, the very essence of the things of God, and then convey it to the good of the whole church. And somebody may have the ability to say, you know, now that I know all that, I think the wisest course of action for us is to do this and to do that and act like that. And Well, that's the wisdom part, and it must have something to do with the knowledge and the wisdom of God and his word and his revelation of himself or else it's not truly a pneumatikos a gift of the Holy Spirit that brings us closer to God does that make sense okay so To one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit. Okay, now this is one of those that, again, commentaries galore exist about. Paul just uses the common word for faith. He uses pistis there. It's just, it's faith. But it may mean a gifting of the Holy Spirit of not just confidence of believing in God and in his word, that kind of faith. It may also mean that God gifts people with what we would call extraordinary faith in those moments when you need it. Here, I'll give you an example. I'm not talking about extraordinary faith like, like the faith healers talk about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those times that you've reached the end of yourself. And you've reached the end of what you can tolerate. And your body is sick. And your mind is confused. And you're, and you're just you're tired. You're just sick and tired. And you're just at the end of yourself. And and I have asked here many, many times. I have said, how many of you have ever heard yourself say, this is going to kill me? And then everybody raises their hands. But then while everybody's got their hand up, yes, this is going to kill me. The next question I always ask is, how many of you died? And they didn't. Because God, who is faithful, carried them through their own times of faithlessness, their own time of struggle and trial, their own attempts to to just give up and quit. The times when they're at the end of themselves, God in his faithfulness has given them faith and carried them by faith through those times. And that could be what Paul's getting at here because... Everybody who is within the church who has the Spirit of God, the gifts of the Spirit that are first manifest in them are the knowledge of their own sinfulness, their need for a Savior, and faith in that Savior. And that's universal among all Christians. That is a gifting of the Holy Spirit. But then I think there are times in our life when we just need something to get us through when we've just reached that point where we've got to we've just got to lean on God completely we've got no other choice and what does he do by his spirit he grants us faith and so faith from beginning to end is a gift from God it's God who initially grants you the gift of faith that brings you into christianity And it's God who gives you the faith to carry on through Christianity. And it's God who gives you the faith to endure the trials of this life. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of faith. That means he began it. He continued it. He completed it. He is the author of faith. And then, of course, Ephesians 2.8, you all know that, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so whenever faith is talked about in the Bible, it is always God who is the source of the faith. It is always God who is the instigator. I come out of a church in Los Angeles where the pastor used to say that you of your own quote-unquote free will, you have to rev up your faith. And the way he would say that is you look at God's word and you, you see what he called God's batting average, that God is faithful, and because you come to the conclusion that God is a, a good God and a gentleman, he used to use that word regularly, that God is a gentleman, and because he's a gentleman, he would never want to impose himself on you you know that it was up to you the individual to rev up your faith but there's no way you can rev up something that Paul says is a gift of the holy spirit it is only if you have the holy spirit and the holy spirit grants you the gift of faith that you even have any faith to exercise the man after his own quote unquote free will The most that he can rev up is a certain level of confidence, but it's not genuine faith, because as soon as life gets hard, as soon as things don't go the way that he thinks they ought to go, then his confidence is going to wane. And if his confidence is in his ability to be confident, then when he loses his confidence, he'll believe he's lost his faith. And that is why so many Arminian churches say that you can lose your salvation and lose your faith. And, but if it is, in fact, pneumatikos, if it is, in fact, charismata, if it is, in fact, a gift of the Holy Spirit given by grace to God's people by the Spirit of God, then you not only don't do it, you can't lose it. And because you can't lose it, It'll get you through the times when you say, this one's going to kill me. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here. Not just the faith that initiates Christianity, but the faith that sustains Christianity. And the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, does demonstrate that those people that we refer to as the heroes of the Old Testament, that the things that they did, they did by faith and so Paul here again would say that that faith the very fact that it's faith the very fact that they got through these, these difficult circumstances and did these extraordinary things the fact that they did all that by faith means that it's God that empowered them to do that because it is the spirit of God that produces faith got that? Yes, sir. any questions about that? because I have to pause now Yes, sir? You touched on this, and you may have actually answered it fully, but I think it's confusing because we believe that we're all given the gift of faith, but this is a list of special gifts, some to one, some to another. And he even specifically says to another the gift of faith. But what are we supposed to believe about that if we think we all are given the gift of faith? That's why I began by saying... Paul may be referring to, yeah, because he uses the same word. Is it it's, the same word as in Ephesians? Yes. It's just the common word for faith. Yeah. It's pistis. Well, that's why I said I th- you thought you may have really answered this already. Yeah. It is confusing somewhat. Somewhat, and that's why people write about it and argue about it and try to explain it. But that's why I said it's, it's, it may be the ability to do the extraordinary, to... To believe in God even under extraordinarily difficult circumstances. I can see that For, missionaries possibly, pardon know, me. In like in missionaries going to difficult regions, just really have a faith that you're going to go and do God's work there. Absolutely. The best definition that I've heard of of true, genuine faith is is believing that God's word is more true than your circumstances. So, as you go through life and go through difficult circumstances, standing on God's word, regardless of how hard it is, is genuine faith. But you don't have it within you to be like that. You don't have it within you to go through extraordinarily difficult resistance uh, and circumstances. But God's grace, His gift, of faith to you will get you through that. So yes, I do think that there's the faith that I I hate to call it the general faith, the common faith. There is the faith that is the beginning of Christianity, that, that faith that we all share in common. But then, that's why I said there are some times that you're going to go through things where your only hope of getting through it is God. When he strips away all your confidence in yourself or in other people or in society or he strips everything away till you can only believe that he's going to deliver you. Well, where does that confidence come from? I think that's a sort of extraordinary faith because other people in your same circumstance would give up, would, would despair would not have that peace that passes understanding. Have you ever, George, have you ever been in the middle of something to the outsiders who are looking at it? They think, man, that's awful. That's just horrible. That is so difficult that he's going through that. And yet, in the midst of it, suddenly you just find peace. You're just okay with it. Well, that would be, I think, that gift of faith that Paul's talking about here. Make sense? Yeah, Yes, Linda. So are you saying it's a gift that we all have on a certain level, and then at certain times we have an extra, as opposed to one person has more faith as a gift? Like you said, Tom has a gift of help. Very good. Or another person has more faith than the... I am saying at times in your life when you need God to carry you through the circumstances of your life, He's going to gift you with extraordinary faith. I keep using that word extraordinary the same way that I use supernatural, pneumatikos, that every once in a while something's going to take over that you know isn't you. You know it's not you doing it, and God is intervening and giving you confidence in the midst of otherwise terrible things. But those are are gifts for the circumstance, for the event. And so no, I'm not saying that God gives somebody a permanent installation of extraordinary faith where they're now better than everybody else because that's the exact opposite of everything Paul's been saying that I've been driving at. It's for the good of the body. And to lift up one person and make them the hyper-spiritual one Seems divisive within the body. I think that what Paul's talking about is that God is faithful to carry his people through times of extraordinary difficulty. Make sense? I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. there are times when you have greater need. And there will be times that you have greater need. Yeah. I agree. So then. And this is going to help a little bit in answering your question, Linda. We're going to look at the next gift that he's going to list because the gift of, or the gifts plural, and it is plural, charismata is the word that's used there again in verse 9. It is a pluralized word. And he says the gifts of healing by that one spirit. Notice that Paul does not say that God gives certain people the gift of healing, which the charismatics and the Pentecostals would point at people and say, that guy has the gift of healing. And then that guy can show up and fill an arena because people want to see somebody who has the gift of healing. And yet, i got to say, I've yet to see anybody actually genuinely demonstrate that they have that gift. There are very few people who, who have ever walked in there with no legs and walked out with legs. There are very few people who have ever carried a dead guy to Benny Hinn and Benny Hinn raised him up again. There's very few blind people who ever walked into a healing rally and walked out seeing just fine. Now, Jesus did those kind of miracles and Paul did those kind of miracles and the apostles did those kind of healings, but Paul demonstrated gifts of healings like when he was on the Isle of Malta and when he was collecting sticks for a fire and the snake came out and bit him and the residents there all thought he was sure to die because they recognized that as a poisonous snake and he's going to die well Paul shook it off into the fire and his hand didn't swell up and he didn't get sick and he was fine that is God intervening supernaturally to give Paul gifts of healing but he didn't make paul the healer now granted paul called out some healings again i think that word of knowledge and knowing what god's doing and knowing what god's activity is he was able to say that god was going to heal the leader of the tribal people there on malta And and sure enough, that man was healed. But then think about the fact that when Epaphroditus came to stay with Paul, that Epaphroditus was sick nigh unto death. And Paul said, he stayed with me the whole winter, and then God finally raised him up to health. Okay, so if Paul had the gift of healing, why didn't Paul heal Epaphroditus? It's because Paul didn't have the gift of healing It's that the Holy Spirit gives gifts of healings. Do you get the difference? And he may tell somebody what he's doing. Peter, when he saw the lame man begging for alms by the gate, Peter said, gold and silver, I don't have any. But such as I have, I give to you. Rise and walk. Now, was it Peter that healed him? No, because Peter didn't go around healing people. But Peter seemed to know that at that moment, God was going to heal that man. And he said, rise and walk. And God provided a gift of a healing to that man. But he never gave Peter the gift of healing. Do you understand the difference? Because by the Spirit of God, if you have the Spirit of God in you, even if you can't get to a healer, quote-unquote, the Holy Spirit of God within you can still heal you. In my case, I've been sick for a week. Why do I expect that I'm eventually going to get well? Because God faithfully always has healed me. Sometimes he does it extraordinarily. Okay, I'm not going to make a big deal of this, but you've heard me say before that I can be sick as a dog And when I stand up here in the pulpit and start preaching, I'm fine. And then as soon as I'm done preaching, I'm sick as a dog again. And you've seen me demonstrate it time and time again. And it's happening right now because I have coughed nonstop, incessantly, all night. I haven't slept. I'm worn out. Yesterday, talking to Gayla on the phone, I just had to get off the phone. I just couldn't stop coughing. Just stop coughing. I've coughed once since the beginning of this sermon, and I know that when it's over and I go back home, I'm going to get sick again. So I'm going to keep preaching till I—it's going to be two o'clock, and I'm still going to be preaching because I don't want to get sick again. I know know what's going to happen but 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 the holy spirit of god is able to intervene in your life in a way where he can bring healing to your body and if he doesn't bring healing to your body in an extraordinary way or by the natural way then he's going to bring it about in the ultimate spiritual way because at some point your body's going to get sick and it's going to die and then you're going to wake up healed Mm -hmm. you're going to be fine again In fact, you're going to be in the presence of God, which is described as no more sickness, no more death. God's going to wipe away every tear. And so that's the ultimate healing. All the way through the Old Testament, Israel is spoken of as having an incurable wound. That language of being wounded shows up time and time again. As Israel is rebelling against God and God drives them out of their land and God puts them into uh, servitude and bondage into other nations, as God takes them through that, he likens it to them being sick, to them being wounded. And then Isaiah says that when Jesus is going to be sacrificed, one of the things that he's going to accomplish in his sacrifice is that all the sicknesses and diseases of Israel are going to be placed on him. By his stripes, we are healed. Now, in that case, he's talking about a national healing of Israel. But there's something about that concept of being made right, being made whole, being made healthy, that is intrinsic to the Spirit of God and to the the message of what Christ accomplished for he made us. A new He's made a new creation, and I keep arguing qualitatively new. I mean, won't it be nice to be existing in a state where you don't get sick and you can't get sick and you can't die and you're living in eternal joy? Well, we don't know what that's like yet because we're still in this environment where sickness happens, but if God didn't heal us regularly, constantly every little bug that attacks us, every virus that goes up our nose, if God wasn't constantly giving us the ability to be well, nobody would ever get well. We'd always be sick and we'd always just be decaying and dying. It is God who grants us wellness, wholeness, goodness. Those are gifts of the Spirit of God to us. And sometimes when people get sick, they need an extraordinary touch of God to get well, And God gives it to them through his Holy Spirit. And those are gifts of healings. It is not the gift of healing. Now, to answer your question more completely, Linda, because Paul did not say that there was going to be a person who would have the gift of healing, I also think he's not saying that there is a person who has a gift of faith in an extraordinary way that nobody else has, and that that's permanently his. Instead, it's gifts of faith, it's gifts of healing, it's (laughs) gifts of knowledge, it's gifts of wisdom, and those things are doled out on a as-needed basis. Well, I was thinking about, if you read biographies like Hudson Taylor, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just amazing. Amazing. You know. Yeah. would you say he has the gift of faith or he just was given that extraordinary supernatural kind of faith for that circumstance? How do we say anything other than that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. George Mueller. Or George Mueller. Yeah. And we can all think of people, circumstances where God's intervention was just obvious. This this can't be human. There's no way that just happened, but God did it. Now, remember a moment ago, I said that when Paul was on the Isle of Malta or when Peter healed the lame man, that they had the knowledge that God was going to do that. And so the next gift that Paul lists is verse 10 to another, the effecting of miracles Now, it's not that God has made anybody a miracle worker so that they themselves can walk around at will performing miracles, but God sometimes gives people the extraordinary ability to know that God is working and that God is doing something and he affects miracles at their hand. When we look at Ezekiel preaching to the dry bones... You know, it was pretty miraculous. Dry bones got up and they could live again. And sinews and flesh came back on them and breath came into them. And then they were able to stand up and live and breathe again. And Ezekiel said all the things that God said for him to do. He went to the place. He said the things. He affected the miracle, but did he do it really? No, it's God who did the miracle But it's Ezekiel who was in on the fact that God was going to do that miracle. The same way that Paul was in on the fact that God was going to heal the leader of the tribe on Malta. The same way that Peter was aware that God was going to heal the lame man. And so again, the emphasis always has to stay on it's God who does these. They are pneumatikos. They are gifts flowing from the Holy Spirit. No man gets to take credit for them. But some men, by God's grace, do get to be part of what God is doing within the body. And it's always for the good of the body. Anybody who's walking around saying, come see me this weekend because I'm going to do miracles. I'm having a miracle service, a miracle healing service. Come to my service and watch me perform. Well, that's the opposite of what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying, within the body, for the good of the body, God is going to perform these supernatural works. The clock is ticking, and I smell food in the back room, and I know you all are are getting hungry, and there's not only the rest of this list, but there are, as I mentioned, two other lists from Paul. So let me just end with this next gift that we're going to talk about, and then... We'll get to the other lists, and we'll get to speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. We'll get to that next week. I think that will be the wisest thing, and I'm just busy counting my blessings that I'm able to speak, and I'm not coughing. I don't know how to explain this. good. Thanks. <laughs> and to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy. Okay, this is a big one. Again, the TBN version of that is the gift of prophecy means that anybody at any time can just start calling out in a Gene Dixon ish sort of way, they can just start calling out the future. And that they say, That's the gift of prophecy. God's given me the gift of prophecy. Within the early church, within the first century church, coming on the heels of the Old Testament as it did. Prophecy was a very big part of not only Israel's history, but of the church becoming established in the very first place. When you think about not only Paul's prophecies, but you think about John's prophecies in the book of Revelation. And, and so prophecy played a very big part, but the prophecies were always in league, in line with what God had actually said, what God was putting now this word which really is just about the same in Greek it, it just moved into the English language it was not translated it was transliterated this word to prophesy means essentially to speak under the influence of the Holy Spirit now that can include foretelling things that are going to come And we see that demonstrated by the prophets. But it also can mean to speak under the influence of the Spirit, to just speak the things of God. The difference, I've heard preachers say over the years, the difference is between forth telling and telling forth that sometimes you're just speaking about the wonderful works of God and what God is doing and speaking of God in a way that you cannot naturally speak about God. Here, I'll I'll help you out. If you call me on, say, Tuesday afternoon, I can't reference Scripture the way I do on Sunday mornings. I can't just conjure it up. There's something that happens when... The word is open and the spirit is flowing, and suddenly I become a whole lot smarter than I really am. And on Tuesday afternoon, I'm pretty dull. And if I get enough cough syrup in me, really dull. And so, but I have had moments where, as you have had, moments where suddenly. Because you need the word of God, because you need to speak about God, because you are representing God and you are in a situation where you're, where you're the emissary of God at that moment where the spirit of God gives you the ability and the utterance to speak about God in a way that you can't normally. Jesus told his apostles that when they were eventually going to be bound and brought in front of officials one of the things he said to them is, don't give any thought. Don't worry about what you're going to speak because the Holy Spirit will give you utterance at that moment. So don't be preparing something. Don't be making notes. Don't decide what it's going to be. Instead, trust that when you get there, the Holy Spirit will give you the appropriate utterance for that moment. Well, that's what that word prophecy means too. And so that gift... To prophesy, Paul is later going to say, is a gift that we should all want. We should all desire that ability to speak the wonderful works of God. He's not saying everybody should have the ability to foretell the future. But he is saying that we should all want the ability to speak about God on a level that we can't normally speak about him that the Spirit of God should gift us with that ability to speak about God. And if the Holy Spirit that emanates directly from God starts speaking by and through you, you are going to end up saying things you didn't know you were going to say that when they get done, you think, boy, where did that come from? How did I know that? I joke sometimes with Tom and say, I got to go home and listen to the message so I can find out what I said because sometimes the spirit intervenes for the good of the body for the good of the whole body the charismata, the gifts of God are given by the Holy Spirit, the pneumatikos so that the whole body is edified in a way that they can't be edified by just people sitting around talking But every once in a while, we have the rare privilege of speaking the extremely high and holy things of God. We get to speak about the God who made heaven and earth, and we get to speak about the Savior who saved us And loved us since before the foundation of the world. And sometimes we say it to another person and a moment ago they didn't understand anything about God. And then we speak to them about this stuff and they get it, and the lights go on, and suddenly they're they're changed. Okay, that's an act of the spirit who is inhabiting you and giving you the ability to speak by his inspiration. And that helps someone there in your presence because it's always all these gifts. I keep saying it. I'm going to say it again next week. I'm going to keep emphasizing that all of these gifts are for the good of the body. So, if God gives you wisdom, if God gives you knowledge, if God gives you proper discernment of His word, of His character, of His nature, how He is, if God gives you faith and confidence, confidence in God, and if God gives you gifts of healings so that you are raised up from your sick state into a well state which happens throughout our lives if God gives you the ability to speak his word and to speak the wonderful works of God then that is all a gift of the Holy Spirit and not to be taken for granted not to ever be looked at as just nature or the way things work it's not an accident, it's not a coincidence, it is the work of God actively working in the lives of his people for the good of the whole body. And that's what Paul is getting at. I shudder to ask, but are there any questions? I know, I shudder. We'll take a quick PS. You've got a PS? Yeah. Later on. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, there's food cooking in the back. I very much appreciate all the work and effort that the Moore family has put into it, so I'm not going to keep you from it any longer. If you've got to go, if you've got to leave, you're making a huge mistake (laughs) because the food, there's plenty of it, and it's very good. So stick around and eat and fellowship with us. And uh, whoever says our closing prayer, please thank God for the food. In a world where there are people still struggling to find food, we have a room full of it in the back. So be thankful for that. And uh, I'm now, this is my plan. This is what I know is going to happen. This is my my prophetic moment right here. I'm now going to go back to being sick. Thank you for listening to this Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Assembly. Please visit our website at salvationbygrace.org and join us next time when we gather around the Word and study God's sovereign grace.